today we're going to continue in our series entitled, Who is Jesus? Where we've been looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. Now remember, our prayer this summer has been that we would all fall more deeply in love with Jesus this summer. In a real way, that God would do a revival work in us this summer. You know, this past week, uh, we were able to do this past Sunday night, our family fireworks spectacular uh, at Morris Ballpark. And it was an incredible event. Uh, man, we were able to make so, so many seeds for the gospel and be able to connect with so many people uh, because of that. And so we're so thankful for everybody who served to make that possible, especially our parking team. Man, we got so many uh, compliments from our parking team, getting people in and out of there. Our, our pyrotechnics team, the guys who were lighting the fireworks and all that, so thankful for those guys and so thankful you you're here this morning and as far as we know you all have your fingers still we're great we're so thankful for that and uh huge thanks to brian rice our children's minister who did such a great job preparing uh that uh outreach event but but if you if you noticed uh, there at the end of that night they did the grand finale with the fireworks show and listen it was as good as anybody any fireworks show i've ever been to the grand finale part is all of these fireworks exploding and things and it all culminated to a big high point and then when it finished all over these several thousand people at Marsh Ballpark erupted and shouting and clapping and excitement I heard one guy near me stood up and said take that Red Mountain you know like hey I said hey all right way to go you know but what I noticed was is that we as human beings when we see something beautiful when we see something spectacular, it does stir our emotions. It's the way that God has designed us, and that's a good thing. I think about Timothy, who just got married recently, our student minister, and, and the excitement of getting to see Maddie walk down the aisle. That's a good thing. God, God uses these things that we see and perceive and hear to stir our emotions. And my heart has been for us this summer that as we look at these promises of Jesus... That they would stir our emotions. They would stir our heart to, to see his beauty and his glory. To want to worship and adore Jesus more. And so that being said, today I want us to look at our text this morning. Today we're going to look at the sixth I am statement. It comes from John chapter 14. And I want to invite every, anyone who would like to, all who can, all who are able to, let's stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. If you're not able to stand then as always, you can feel free to reverence the Word of God there in your hearts. But John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray this morning. Father, I truly ask today, Lord, would you put your words, God, in my heart. God, I pray, Father, that you would speak to your people today. God, we don't want to go through the motions, Lord, today. We truly want to hear from you, and we want to hear your voice, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated? Now, as you can see in our text this morning, it kind of begins pretty abruptly with Jesus saying to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Now, anytime that you see a chapter of Scripture starting off in such a way, you need to back up and see, well, why is it starting off in, the reason, in that way? And the reason why is that we're actually picking up in the middle of a conversation that starts in John chapter 13. And it's actually, John chapter 13 ends uh, with a difficult conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Now, in John 13, Jesus has gathered his disciples for the Passover meal, and he's going to institute the Lord's Supper. He's going to do the Last Supper there with them. A lot of things happen in John 13. It's the moment where Jesus washes his, washes his disciples' feet. It's the moment where Judas will eventually leave to go and betray Jesus. I mean, Jesus is hours away at this moment from his crucifixion, from his arrest and crucifixion. But one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples is he begins to talk to them about his coming arrest and his coming departure from them. In, in John 13, Jesus says to them, Little children, I am with you only a little while longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews, now I say to you also, where I am coming, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, the, the remainder part, it basically, John chapter 13 ends in this way. And, and the disciples are discouraged by this. They love Jesus. They don't want him to leave them. And so that's where we pick up in John chapter 14. But then he starts trying to encourage them. He says, but do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he starts telling them about heaven. And yes, I'm leaving you, but I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And then Thomas asks the question there, but Lord, how do we know the way to where you are going? And then Jesus answers that by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Essentially what he's doing is he is giving his disciples directions to God and directions ultimately one day to heaven. Now, have you ever been lost in a situation where you desperately needed some directions? Anybody ever been in those situations? I can remember probably one of the most desperate moments in my life. I remember needing directions where right after Kimberly and I got married. I mean, I'm 22 years old. She's 20. And, and I was enrolled at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And they had an extension center here in Birmingham. But you still had to go on campus uh, several weeks out of the year to take courses. And so uh, Kimberly and I, were, I was going to go take my first uh, trip to New Orleans to go to class. And I was going to be in class all day. And, and Kimberly wanted to go with me. We'd never been to New Orleans. You know, it seems it's a destination. People like to go. Uh, we're kind of naive to what New Orleans is. And, and so along the process, then she invites her sister who's going to pile along with us. And she's about 18 at this point. And so the plan was, is that while I was in school, they were going to go out and explore New Orleans, you know? And, and so we go and, and we get there and we go to our room. And so I go to class the next morning and I come home for lunch that next day. And they're already back in the room having discovered that New Orleans is not the friendliest city in the world. It's not the safest city in the world. And they basically look at me and say, we're not leaving this room again without you. So a few days go by and, and I get, I, they wake me up in the, the middle of the night. It's about two o'clock in the morning. And my sister-in-law is having an asthma attack because of the humidity in that area. It's been years since she'd struggled with that. But, but uh, just the humidity, things really brought it on. But her inhaler that had been in her purse since like seventh grade was expired. And so they had called, this was all before they woke me up, that, that they had called to get the emergency number, they get it refilled, and the only place to go pick this refill up is at a Walgreens in the French Quarter, okay? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. 
This is before iPhones. This is before GPS on your dash. This is, you just had to like figure it out. And so I'm trying to ask people in the lobby at this hotel how to get there. I strike out in, in Kimberly's red Mustang, by the way, that she had uh, when she was 16. And I start tra- traveling in downtown New Orleans. I get so lost. And again, not the best place in the world for this little young little Baptist preacher to get lost in. Uh, I, I finally turn a corner and I see a taxi cab. Hey, Taxi cabs, guys, they do this for a living. This guy will know directions. He's on the opposite curb. I pull up against 2 o'clock in the morning, red Mustang with Alabama tags up on the opposite corner, and I'm going to get out and walk across the street and ask the taxi driver. What I don't see on that corner is, I'm going to say this delicately, the woman of the night that works that corner. And so all she sees is this red Mustang with an Alabama tag pull up. And so I get out of the car, start making my way, and I start getting catcalled at. And I turn around, and in a moment of frustration, I see this woman. I recognize what's going on, and I said, I don't have time to deal with you. You know, and I, <laughs> I go, and I, I get my directions from the taxi cab driver. I make it. I get the inhaler, bring it back, all of that. Finally, when things calm down, about 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm able to look at my sister on and say, do you realize what I went through to get this. Hey guys, having good directions and knowing where to go can truly change a situation. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is giving his disciples these directions. And I want us to look at this this morning. So if you're keeping notes today, as we've done throughout this series, what does it mean today for Jesus to tell us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Our first truth this morning is that we need to know that Jesus is the way. The statement that Jesus makes here calling himself the way is significant. It's significant because in the Greek the word way means a traveled roadway, a path, or even a highway. Now roads and highways were a really important thing in Jesus' day, especially since the Roman Empire was in control of most of the world at that point. And one of the, 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 the most innovative things that the Roman Empire did is they began to connect their, uh, their realms of authority with very sophisticated road system. And they were some of the first to do this. In fact, uh, the Roman Empire connected the world in a way that it really had never been connected before. And so when Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the path, they would have understood this. And so in Jesus' day, if you wanted to travel somewhere, you had to just make sure that you were on the right road and you had to make sure that you stayed on the path. When Jesus makes the statement here saying, I am the way or I am the path, he is saying, I am the one you have been looking for. I am the highway. I am the path. I'm the direction in life that you've been seeking I want to give you two major truths this morning about Jesus being the way. And first, we need to know that Jesus saying that he is a way, he is the way, is a promise of admission to God. Jesus saying here that he is the way means that he is the way to God. Now, this is vitally important because knowing that Jesus is the way to God has everything to do with us finding our purpose and our meaning in life, the Bible makes it clear that without Jesus, we are all lost and hopeless in this world. Jesus actually said in Luke 19:10 that the whole reason for his mission was to seek and to save people, individuals who were lost. We were people without a path, without Jesus. 
Church, the Bible makes it clear that not only are we people who are empty and lost without God, we're also a people who are empty and lost who will search to fill our lives with something that will meet the void in our life that we all have without God. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, the people of God had abandoned God and had started trying to find other things in life to satisfy them. He said, for they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, which means they turned their back on God, and they hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that will hold no water. God was saying, you have left me, and now you're trying to create other things in life in which you can be satisfied, but all you've done is you've gathered for yourself empty vessels and fruitless pursuits of satisfaction. Church, so many people in our world, in our own families and communities are trying to find a path in life that leads to fulfillment, that leads to satisfaction. But without Jesus, we will never arrive. Just a few weeks ago, as we were been renovating our sanctuary, I went over to see what was going on, and I got to meet a young man named Josh. He was one of the contractors. And that, that sanctuary renovation team is doing a fantastic job, and rightfully so. I, I virtually know nothing of what is going on, and yet that's a good thing for everybody here this morning. And so he came up to me, started to tell me when they were going to finish and all this stuff, and I was nodding. I was like, yeah, man, that sounds great. In my mind, I'm thinking, you need to talk to Jennifer. Anyway, but so I got to ask him about his where he was with Jesus. And at first he said, you know, man, I'm, I'm kind of agnostic. I don't know if I really believe, but I respect what other people believe. And so I just started to share with him my spiritual journey. Started to talk to him about what Jesus had done in my life. And you could see that God was moving and working in his life. And then he looked at me, he said, yeah, man, I've had a hard time trying to find and stay on the right path in life. Basically, he was saying, I'm searching and haven't found it yet. I was ultimately able to point him to the fact that Jesus is the way. And that's what we need to know this morning. The path that everyone is searching for is Jesus. Secondly, Jesus saying that he is the way is also a statement of exclusion directed towards other ways to God. In this verse, when Jesus says that he is the way, he is not saying that he provides a path to God. He is saying that he provides the path to God. And he clarifies this even further at the end of that statement. He says, for no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, you cannot read the Bible or study the teachings of Jesus and conclude anything else other than that there is only one true God and the only way to the one true God is through his son, Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle Peter spoke about the exclusivity of Jesus being the way to God. And this is what he said. For there is no other name, speaking of Jesus, under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The only way we can enter into a relationship with, with God is through his son Jesus. In fact, if you look at ancient church records, the early Christians were often referred to as people of the way because they were the people who openly proclaimed, we believe that there's only one way to God. So what does this mean for us today? It means for all of you today who are trying to find your path in life, it means that Jesus is what all of us are looking for. Maybe you're here today and you're divorced and empty. I want you to know that Jesus 
is what you're looking for. Maybe you're here today and you're bound and addicted. I want you to know that Jesus is what you're looking for. Maybe you're here today and you're heartbroken. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus is what you're looking for. Maybe today everything in your life is going well. You're successful, you've got a good job, you've got a good family, you've got money. All of the checklists in your soul seem to be checked, but something is still missing. What, what is that? It's because Jesus is what you're looking for. He says, I am the way. Our second truth today is that we need to know that Jesus is the truth. Now, the word truth is a very deep and complex word. In mathematical terms... If something is true, it means it is correct. It computes. In legal terms, if something is true, it means that it can be trusted. In woodworking terms or carpentry terms, if something is true, it means that it is accurate or straight. You can look down the edge of a board and see if it's crooked or not or if it is true. Now, again, for us to understand what Jesus means by saying that he is the truth, we need to remember the context. The context is he's talking to Thomas and he's ultimately trying to give people directions on how they can get to God. So this is important for us to know. So here by Jesus saying that he is the way, he's saying I am the path to God. And then by him saying he is the truth, he is saying I am the trustworthy means to get you to God. See, truth always incites action. If, ma- if something in math is true, what do you do? You record it. If something in carpentry is true, you use it or you nail it. In legal terms, if something is true, you make judgments in light of it. In Psalms chapter 43, verse 3, the psalmist affirms that truth is something that moves us to action. The psalmist said, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. So truth is something that basically means if it's real, if it's trustworthy, then we should base our lives on it. If we really believe today that Jesus is the truth, if we really believe this morning that he is right, that he is good, that he is accurate, then that should affect every action in our lives. If Jesus is the truth, then he must become the basis of our entire worldview. If Jesus is the truth, that means that all of our decisions have to be filtered through that. Let me give you a good example here today. Does it make sense for people who are living safe here in the United States, who've got good jobs and and, and you're not really worried about animals or you're not really worried about anything uh, that's really on the horizon as far as you know of that could injure you or anything like that. Does it make sense for those people to go pay money to get on a boat to go down the Amazon River up into the jungle, lions and tigers and bears and anacondas and piranhas? and, And I'm not trying to freak you out, by the way. We're praying for you. But does it... Does it make sense? No. It makes no earthly sense unless you believe that Jesus is the truth. And if you believe that Jesus is the truth, then you base your life according to that. I want you to know something, church family. It's one thing for us to know the path, but it's another thing for us to actually walk the path. For Jesus to say, I am the way. Hey, there's a lot of people A lot of us even at Enon Baptist Church will say, I believe that Jesus is the way. The question is, do you also believe that he's the truth? 
Because if you believe he's the truth, then that means you'll follow him. That means your life will begin to change and be affected because of that. Do you remember uh, back in the 90s, we got Mr. Trotter uh, here with us this morning, former principal at Mormon Jordan High School. So thankful that he's here uh, with us today. He may remember this. I remember in the 90s, we got really excited. Christian is about the WWJD bracelets. Do y'all remember that? The little bracelets you would put on. And it was actually probably one of the greatest spiritual dilemmas in my life and probably you know, 14, 15 years old was that those things would start to stink and get nasty, but you felt unspiritual if you took it off. You know? So anyway, that was a weird spiritual dilemma. But I, but I remember the whole idea, the whole premise behind the what would Jesus do bracelet was that it was intended to remind you as you contemplated actions and decisions of a truth that is greater than where you are in that situation. It was intended to remind you that your belief in Jesus should change your actions. Now, we don't have time this morning to give you every action that should follow those who believe that Jesus is the truth, but let me give you just a few this morning. First, if you believe that Jesus is the truth, then that should lead you to call out to him for salvation. I mean, ultimately, that's the the truth of the gospel is that we were all sinners separated from God, but that God loved us enough that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. He was buried for three days. He came out of that tomb three days later to prove that he was who he said he was. And if you believe that that is true, then that means that all of us are sinners and that all of us need Jesus. And so if you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you believe that, then the first step for all of us to follow Jesus on the path, to believe that he is trustworthy, is to call out to him and say, Jesus, save me. Really save me. I want you to know something this morning. The Bible says nobody comes to me unless the spirit of I sin draws him. The scripture talks about God as the one who can convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. I want to ask you this question this morning, church. Have you ever had that moment in life where the Spirit of God revealed to you your sinfulness, revealed to you your separation from God and how desperately you needed Jesus? And so you called out to him to save you. If you haven't had that, then you're, you're, not, you're not walking the path. But that's the first step. Secondly, if you believe that Jesus is the truth, then you should begin to seek to grow in him. In 2 Peter 3.18 Peter calls his followers to grow in their relationship with him. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If I believe that Jesus is true, then not only do I need to begin a relationship with him, I need to get saved, but then I want to grow in that relationship with him. We do that several different ways. If I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus, then I'm going to participate in congregational worship. I'm going to be part of a church because Jesus calls us to that. If I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus, then I'm going to meet with him regularly in prayer and in worship. If I believe that Jesus is the truth, then I'm going to want to know more about him in his word. God's going to begin to to, to draw me towards him in those things. I remember being a teenage kid when I first came to know Jesus. and I didn't know anything about the gospel. But I remember my mom is here this morning, and my mom can tell you this. But I remember when I first came to Jesus, man, and the Lord just captured me. All I wanted to do was know more about him. And I would close my bedroom door, and I would put my little Christian CD on. And I would read my Bible, and I would pray for hours and just meet with God and say, God, I just want to know you more. I remember it would frustrate my brother, who was not a believer at that point, so much so that he would come across the hall. He would open my door, and he would say, hey, listen, Zach, I'm glad you're all spiritual and everything, but you and Jesus 
just need to keep it down in here. I'm trying to sleep. You know what, guys? God deserves no less from me today. My desire to hunger for him, my desire to long for him needs to be just as much today. And he calls us to that. And then finally, if you believe that Jesus is the truth, then you should give your life to serve him. The scripture makes it clear in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever wishes to, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will gain it. Jesus reveals to us here the key to happiness in life. And the key to happiness in life is serving God, not serving yourself. Ultimately, that's the key. Jesus says, I'm the path, I'm the way to God, and if you trust me, you're going to follow me. And one of the things that he's going to lead you into is he's going to lead you to begin to serve him. Now, does that mean that everybody needs to quit their job and go into vocational ministry? No. Does that mean some of you may? Yeah, absolutely. I remember a friend of mine uh, when I was in Arkansas. He was a very high-powered attorney. Uh, he was an attorney for the Walton Foundation, which was uh, connected to Walmart. And, and uh, he was a godly guy, came to church, loved the Lord, read his Bible. Um, and he joined my discipleship group. And regularly, weekly, he kept talking about he felt like something was missing in his life. At some points, he was like, man, I just feel like, am I, am I wasting my time in a secular workplace and doing law and these things and working with foundations? And, and he, he was just wrestling all the time. He just never felt like he was satisfied. But he's like, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm doing those things. One night, I was taking different guys in my discipleship group out to go and knock on doors to give away blessing bags like we do here just to, to, to share the gospel and pray with people in our community. He went with me this night. And so we went to a couple different homes and we had some good visits, but we went to that one home of that one lady that was a divine appointment. It was that lady that God had prepared. And she was a Christian who was far separated from God. She had gotten off the path. God still loved her, but she had gotten off the path. And she said that she had gotten up that morning and she had prayed, oh God, if you could forgive me, if you would only let me know that you still love me, oh God, can I even come back to you? And we showed up on her door that night to ask her how we could pray for you. We were able to encourage her in Jesus. And, and God just did a revival work in this young lady's heart right there on this doorstep. We got to pray for her and encourage her. And we walked away just, wow, how cool was that that God let us be vessels in his story, that God was working in that moment. And this is what Scott said to me in the car. He said, this is what I've been missing. This is what I've been missing. He didn't need to quit his job. He didn't need to change directions. He didn't really need to change anything he was doing except engage himself in the work. Friends, again, there's a difference in knowing the path and walking the path. Jesus says, I'm the way. But then he also says, I'm the truth. He says, I'm trustworthy. Some of you this morning, God may be calling you to go all in. May to go all in with Jesus, to take some next steps for his name and his glory. Maybe it's just the next step of like getting connected in a life group. Maybe it's to join a church family. Maybe it's to begin to, to go to that college and grads Bible study. Maybe whatever it may be. Maybe it's to begin a one-year Bible reading plan. Maybe it's to go and confess some hidden sin to a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ to say, I want freedom in this area. Whatever it may be, we believe that God can be working and moving if we'll trust it. So our first 
two truths today is that Jesus says, I am the way, which means he's the path. He says, I am the truth, which means we should trust him and follow him. And our final truth today that we need to know is that Jesus is the life. By Jesus saying here that he is the life, he's essentially telling us the promise of what comes if we follow him. Basically, he's the way, he is the path, he's the truth, we need to follow him on the path. But if we follow him, he says, I will lead you to life. You know, John references God promising life over and over and over again in the gospel. And one of the earlier I am statements in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I think all of us understand that life is a good thing. Because if you're, you don't have life, then what are you? You are dead. But the question we need to ask today is, what does it mean for Jesus to promise to give us life? We talked a little bit about this last week in John eleven twenty five, 25, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus says, I want to promise to give you life, he's promising two things. He promises to give you spiritual life, and he promises to give you eternal life. Spiritual life is that which Jesus promises to give his followers, and it's a reference to when God transforms and indwells his followers in a real and tangible way. Basically, he says, I promise to make you come alive in your flesh and in your spirit, right there where you are. In 1 Peter 3.18, Peter spoke about Jesus' promise to give people spiritual life. He said, for Christ also died for the sins of all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus highlights the gospel. That's the gospel, by the way. Jesus died for our sins, the just for the unjust. If we repent of our sins, we are reconciled to God. We're brought back to God. And what's the end result? He makes us alive. Now, I'm a gardener, and uh, one of the things that's going on in my garden right now is uh, we've got a lot of squash going on. And by the way, one, one squash plant will go a long way. A friend of mine that used to do a garden in northwest Alabama, he used to say, hey, in Winston County, uh, in the summertime, uh, you better lock your doors. And I was like, well, why is that? And he said, because somebody will leave squash in it, you know. But, uh, but one of the things that I do as a gardener is often I will start my seeds out in smaller planters, and then transplant them to my garden. And the reason why is because first it allows me to nourish those vulnerable seedlings a little bit more, but it also allows me to see which seeds are going to live and which ones are going to die. See, a living plant, it will root, it will grow, it will put out leaves, and it'll perk up. But a dead plant will wilt, it will dry out, it will turn dark, and eventually it'll fall over. Church, this is what I want you to know this morning. If you're truly alive in Jesus, it'll be evident. If you're truly alive in Jesus, it will be seen. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us some fruits of what it looks like to be alive in Jesus. He says love is a fruit of those who are alive in Jesus through the Spirit of God. God begins to cause you to love God and love God. 
others. I'm asking you the question this morning. Are you spiritually alive today? And is that evident by the love that you have for other people? You would say, well, Pastor Zach, we're in church. Surely everybody loves everybody. Let me say this to you this morning. The Bible makes it clear that there are those who will claim to be followers of Jesus that one day will stand before God and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Sometimes some of the angriest, orneriest people in the world you can find in church. Let me say this to you this morning. Do you love? Are you known by your love? Do you have the life of God in you? Your joy. Yes, we all go through sorrow and hardship and joy does not mean you don't deal with sadness, but joy means that there's an inner level of, of, of assurance and knowing that God is near you. Do you have joy in your life? Do you have peace of knowing that God is with you? And he goes on through this whole list of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things are evidences that the life of God is in you. I ask you a question this morning. Do you know Jesus is the path? Are you following Jesus in the path? If you are, it will be seen in your life. You will have the life of God on you. You ever been around those people that just the life of God just flows on them? It's like you just, you get around them and you just leave encouraged. You leave joyful. You leave as though they have poured into you. Are we those type of people today? That's what God wants for us this morning. And then he promises also that life, he also promises to give us eternal life. We talked about that a little bit last week, but it should never be something that becomes familiar. Talking about going to heaven one day, church, should not be something that becomes ho-hum, becomes just something average that we look past as believers. In fact, it was the promise of heaven that sustained God's people throughout church history in ways that we could not imagine in moments of difficulty. As Paul faced death, he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all of those who have loved his appearing. Friends, does the life of God well up within us that causes us to long for heaven? There's a song by Francis Ortega that the, the chorus of it is, give me Jesus. And he says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. But then the last chorus of that song says, Oh, and when I come to die, Oh, when I come to die, Oh, when I come to die, Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, give me Jesus. Friends, I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to make their way back up. Jesus says that he is the way. He is the way to God. Jesus says he is the truth, which means we should follow God. And Jesus promises to give us life, life here and also life in eternity if we will just follow him.
Remember the context of this? It's Thomas saying, Lord, we don't know the way to, we don't know the way to where you're going. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. You know, some things in life are confusing. Trying to find your way to the French Quarter at 2 o'clock in the morning can be confusing. Sometimes trying to navigate situations in life can be very confusing. You know it's not confusing? How to come to God. Because he's given some pretty clear directions there. He says, I'll take you to the Father. I will bring you to the Father if you will just trust me. If you will just follow me, I am trustworthy. I am the truth. And what's the promise on the other side of that? It's life. What does God want for you this morning? What does Jesus want for you this morning? He wants life. Oh, Christian, this morning who is dry in your relationship with God. Man, we're praying for revival at Enon Baptist Church. That would spill over into this community. But you tell you what, it's not going to happen with. It won't happen with a bunch of believers who are not walking in the life of God. What does God want for you this morning? He just wants you to take his hand and trust him. Listen, I, I don't know what your next step is. But this morning, if you believe Jesus is the way, then you've got to trust him. Maybe for some of you, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to be saved. For some of you, it's to trust him in some next steps that he's calling you to. I don't know where you are today, but I know that God wants to lead you to himself. And the promise is life on the other side. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you to hear me truly on that this morning. If you don't know Jesus today, but you know that God is drawing you right now, you need the life of God in you. Then all you have to do is right there where you are, just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Save me. I want to know you. Save me. Maybe you're far from God. Oh, Lord, I want to follow you afresh. Do a fresh work in me, God. Here I am.